Thanksgiving gives all of us a chance to express gratitude for the bountiful physical blessings. It should also be a time for us to discover and to remember our spiritual heritage and God's gifts. I'm Mary Wordson, and this is Truth Encounter, a program committed to bringing biblical truth into the practical living of your daily life. Our Bible teacher, Dave Wordson, begins our study titled Thanksgiving in a Nutshell, reminiscing about his boyhood memories of this holiday. He then asks us this question. If the Apostle Paul sat down at our Thanksgiving table and everyone gathered was asked to share a personal word of thanks, what would the great Apostle say when it came around to his turn? Think about it and see if you agree with how Dave answers this question. Let's join Dave around his childhood Thanksgiving table and meet his quite unique Aunt Marie. Now you're waiting hour after hour because Aunt Marie can't make it from New York until about 11.45. It takes another 20 minutes to pick her up and get back to Maplewood, New Jersey, where I was raised. So that means that kickoff time for eating can't really get going until about 12.15. Now that is agony for about an eight-year-old boy because your mom starves you for breakfast. No breakfast. Thanksgiving. You can't be like one of those adults that cover it all up with coffee. And so you're just hanging on for dear life, waiting till 1215. Now, this was the real catcher. When you sat down at our Thanksgiving table, the meal was all spread out. Dad made a hacksaw out of the turkey. Never really figured out how to cut it. But it was basically on the plate there. And it looked great, smelled great. Everything was great. But you couldn't start even then. I remember us little kids always would sit at a little card table. You know, the kids are always segregated in big families, you know. So we're snitching little pieces of turkey in between. But in our family, you couldn't even eat then. Because my dad's one of these that believes strongly in tradition. So to my mom, we had a tradition. There was a great big walnut in front of your plate. I'm sure this was something in the past. But it was a marvelous tradition we had. But as an eight-year-old, I didn't really appreciate it very much. Because, you see, before you could eat anything, you had to take that walnut and go all the way around the table. Now, in our family, that can take several hours because there's 30 or so involved. No, there really weren't that many, and it wouldn't take that long. But everyone had to take that walnut from the weenie tot to the oldest adults, even dear Aunt Marie, and you would have to take the walnut and say in a nutshell what you were thankful for. And we go around the table. You know, it's amazing when you grow older, some of the things that your parents did when you were kids that used to say, Mother, here we go again, especially when you got to be 14 or 13, here we go, another one of these family traditions. You look back and say, boy, Mom, you're in heaven now, but am I glad that you taught me those traditions of Thanksgiving. Let's imagine a Thanksgiving meal with the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? Just imagine sitting down at a turkey dinner with the Apostle Paul. And we're going around the room, around the table. Everyone takes their walnut. If you're good Texans, you can make it a pecan. And you grab the nut and you come to the Apostle Paul. Now, what do you think the Apostle Paul is going to say? Here's the, probably the greatest apostle that ever lived in the church. A man that was beat up for Christ, that even was stoned one time, even unto death for Christ. What is he going to say? I believe if you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, that we can get one of the passages that the Apostle Paul would probably share with us because it's his standard stock and trade 
of thanksgiving. You might think of the Apostle Paul as being a cold, calculating, kind of hard-nosed preacher. But in reality, the Apostle Paul was a very sensitive, very strong, yes, but a very gentle and thankful kind of a person. I think sometimes we would be afraid to meet the Apostle Paul. In fact, some of you might say, Dave, when you mentioned to me about having the Apostle Paul at my table, that's not very exciting to me because I'm scared to death of the Apostle Paul. Well, you really don't need to be. The Apostle Paul in verses 4 through 9 shares with us his thanksgiving. There's two basic things that we get out of these verses. We'll read them, but let me just point them out to you first of all. The Apostle Paul is thankful for God's grace to the Ephesians in the present. And the first thing I'd like to share with you today is about some unbelievable manifestations of God's grace to you in the present. And then he thanks the Lord for God's grace in the future. Now, if you cover the present and the future, and you're experiencing God's grace in both of those areas, then you've got the basis covered. Now, I want you to think about those two manifestations of God's grace, a thanksgiving for God's grace in the present and then a thanksgiving for God's grace in the future. Let's look at it in verses 4 through 9. I always thank God for you. Because his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, notice the stress, in Christ Jesus, in him, you have been enriched in every way. In all your speaking or in all your spiritual eloquence, all your spiritual utterance or speaking. And in all your knowledge, and we're not talking about knowledge of chemistry, but in all your depth of insight into the spiritual realm in all your depth of spiritual knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ Jesus, about Christ, was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul begins by thanking the Lord for amazing grace. He says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Now, let's think carefully about what the Apostle Paul is saying. First of all, who is he talking to in this passage? Well, some of us have the idea that he's talking to some super saints, some saints that never had any problems, some saints that always had their quiet time, that always told people about Christ, that never cussed, that never had any problems at all. In fact, I think there's some of you that if I were to really ask you, do you think that you've experienced the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus? You would say, I'm not sure. At one time in my life, I know there was a moment when I believed in the cross. At one time in my life, I know there was a moment when I responded to the gospel, when I believed with all my heart that Jesus rose again from the dead. But now I'm just struggling. Now I'm trying to be right. And to be honest with you, I can't measure up. I just can't do all the things the preacher tells me to do. I can't do all the things that God's word is telling me to do. I just can't perform like that. And so you're laboring. Basically, in your heart, you have the same idea that a lot of us have sometimes about our own parents. We think that we just don't quite measure up. Because we've got this basic idea that God will pat us on the head 
if we perform well, and then he rejects us if we perform poorly. Now, Paul thanks the Lord, first of all, for the grace that was bestowed upon the Corinthians in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to begin by thinking about the Corinthians humanly. As we think about the Corinthian church, as we go through this book, the Corinthian church, yes, was the most gifted church in the New Testament. They had the most powerful manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But as far as spiritual maturity, as far as the Christ-like character, they were the most immature church. They had divisions in their group. They wouldn't even eat together. At the Lord's Supper, there was a big social dichotomy. The rich people would get plastered with wine and get plastered with food, not throwing it, but tanking it down, while the poor people were starving to death. And the poor people were angry about it. There was a whole faction in the church that said, well, I believe in what Paul says. Another said, I believe what Apollos says. Somebody else says, oh, we're the spiritual ones that believe. We believe in Jesus. It was a church that was all divided. They had one of their members, as I mentioned last time we were together, living in incest with their stepmother. And some of you mentioned how horrible it is even to mention something like that Sunday morning. And I agree with you. If it wasn't for the Word of God, I wouldn't mention things like that. But one thing I'm committed to is just telling you like it is. got to hear what the Word of God says. And this church had terrible moral problems. They not only had incest in their group, but a whole bunch of them had very deep, serious moral problems. There was a lot of climbing in and out of one another's sheets. It wasn't a good, morally pure church. It was also a church that had very severe doctrinal error. A major section of the church was beginning to doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we've had problems, but we haven't had the kind of problem where a large segment of our church leadership had decided that Christ had not risen again from the dead. Now, that's problems. And the Corinthian church had that kind of a problem. But as the Apostle Paul begins, in many ways, this scolding letter, as a daddy, he has to confront them in this letter. And we're going to get into those things he confronted them about. As he begins to grapple with how to help a church living in Corinth to get the Corinth out of themselves and to get Christ into themselves, as he begins that kind of a letter on practical sanctification, the Apostle Paul begins on a very positive note. And you won't receive any correction, whether you're a small child or an older adult, until you realize that the person who's giving the correction genuinely loves you. One of the things that we as parents often miss, one of the things that we as spiritual teachers often miss, is that we fail to communicate from the depth of our heart that we're thankful for our loved one, that we're thankful for our fellow believers. Some of you in your own church experience, you've been scolded and scolded and scolded. Because you heard a lot of what I call topical preaching where a preacher was deciding week by week what they thought you needed to hear. And I guarantee you that if I pick the subjects, I'm going to pick the subjects that I think you're not doing too well on. And so the tenor of the ministry is going to begin to gravitate 
towards a scolding kind of an idea. Why aren't you doing more? Why don't you come out to Wednesday night? Why don't you witness more? Why don't you memorize more verses? Why don't you, why don't you get more excited about Jesus? Why, 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 why? Bang, 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 bang. And you sit there going like this. I want help me, help me, help me. And then you get discouraged. You feel guilty. And a lot of you really, if you ask yourself, you know, I'm not really sure that guy loves me. Some of you are raised in those kind of situations. In fact, some of you, it's so hard to get you out of that idea that you fall short, you fall short. God's really angry with you. He's displeased with you. Now, I want to begin this morning by causing you to think about amazing grace. You just sang it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a good person like me. That saved a marvelous athlete like some of our teenagers. That saved such a gifted mathematical genius like Sam. That saved such a gifted business person like, well, I'll be careful there. You know what I'm talking about? You see, basically in our heart, we have an idea. If I perform, if I'm gifted from a natural standpoint, if I can do it, then I'm accepted. I'm accepted because I'm a pastor and because the Lord's work to build a church. No. I want you to focus on this Thanksgiving. Dave and Deb were at our house on Thanksgiving, and they began our nutshell Thanksgiving. It was very significant to me. Both of them said, I thank the Lord for bringing us to this time by God's grace. The wonder of God's grace. Now, what is the wonder of God's grace? You know, almost all of you naturally are thoroughly convinced that God accepts the good people and rejects the bad people. You are thoroughly convinced of that. I spoke on Tuesday to some of the dear older citizens in our town, and I talked to them about this, this same pattern, because so many people, some of you have been raised in churches where all your life you were told to be good, be good, be good, be good. And some of you really thought you were good. And those are the most dangerous people of all, because they're liars. They're deceitful. They're not really facing what's going on in them. So what we need to begin is to thank the Lord for amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a worm, a wretch like me. Now, in the modern world, we don't like worm. We don't like wretch. We want to change the word. Let's get a little bit easier word. That saved a problem like me. That saved a maladjustment like me. That saved someone who wasn't quite adjusted like me. The truth of the matter is the Bible says that before we're in Christ, we are in the kingdom of darkness. We are under the wrath of God. And outside of Christ, every single one of us are wretches in the sense not that we don't have value because we were made in the image of God. We are a reflection of him. We have an eternal spiritual personality that's going to live somewhere for all of eternity. We have that kind of value. And we also have unbelievable value in the fact that we make choices and we're gifted to have relationship. But all of it's been messed up. All of it has been subservient to arrogance and rebellion. You know who wrote the song Amazing Grace? You've heard the story so much, but we need to remind ourselves who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton was a great evangelical leader in Britain. But John Newton had a sordid past. You see, John Newton was 
was the captain of a ship. And he used to go to Africa. He wasn't just a member of the old Southern America where they had slaves and some of them even treated the slaves well. As horrible as the slavery was. This guy wasn't even into the, the good side. You can even talk about that because there's no good side to slavery. But John Newton would take his ship to Africa, would invade the mainland, would steal people, put them in chains, drop them in the hole of a ship, and pile body upon body upon body, one upon the other, in a stench of human excrement, and ship them across the ocean and sell them. He sold people. That's right, John Newton was a slave trader. Now that's bad. That's really, really bad. It's a horror. Can you imagine living your life with a horror that you had brutalized and murdered and sold into slavery, free people by the hundreds? That's a horrible, horrible thing. But there came a moment in John Newton's life, a moment when he met a Savior who on the cross of Calvary took the punishment for slave traders. Jesus became a slave trader on the cross of Calvary. And the punishment for slave traders is eternal death. It's the judgment of God in all of its fury, in all of its wrath, focusing on that individual. And John Newton realized that an unbelievable thing happened on the cross of Calvary. Jesus took all of his slave trading upon himself and Jesus took all of his righteous personality and made it available to John Newton. And John Newton, in a moment of time, transferred from slave trader to child of God. And that's what amazing grace means. Some of you are sitting out there and you say, well, Dave, I'm not forgiven. Some of you can't get the monkey off your back. Satan tells you again and again and again, you can't go on to spiritual maturity. You can't grow. You can't become an influence in that church because of this and this and this and this in your past. And Satan just sits like a monkey on your back. And oh, how you need to stop and say, what about amazing grace? The truth of the matter is that all of us are part of the kingdom of slave traders. We're all part of the kingdom of darkness without him. We all have a sordid past. I was born again when I was small. But my lying and my innocent pride wasn't innocent. Even as a little boy, I was a sinner and so are you. We were arrogant rebels. That's the way we were born. You got to face that about your internal man. And then when you face that terrible arrogance and pride and rebellion against God that manifests itself in all this murder and all this immorality and slave trading and anything you want to talk about that represents falling away from the standards of God, when you realize that lost condition, then you're ready to hear amazing grace. And the Apostle Paul came into the city of Corinth. He presented that wondrous message of amazing grace. And what is that message? God does not accept good people. God does not make good people his children. God reaches out in an incredible, amazing love that's totally different from our love. We love what is beautiful. We love what meets our need. We love what is kind to us. We love what reaches out to us. We respond to someone that's giving to us. 
When someone withdraws those things, we withdraw ourselves, not God. God's amazing grace, his amazing love is a flowing out, a giving forth, a reaching out towards people that deserve just the opposite. Now, just think about that. That's the way God loves you. There's not an individual in this room that God's love is not reaching forth to you. You might not be responding to it. You might not have made it your own. You might not have thanked Jesus for what he did for you in the cross of Calvary. And if you haven't, I would encourage you, right while I'm speaking, right where you're sitting, you do your own personal business with the Lord. But Paul begins his passage by always thanking God. It was constantly on Paul's mind because of the grace that was given in Christ Jesus. Amazing grace. Now, what is that amazing grace done? It's produced abounding riches in our life. You say, okay, I've received Christ as my Savior. I've been born again into God's family. Now what? Abounding riches. Look what it says. For in him you have been enriched, verse 5, in every way. You have been enriched in every way. Then he talks about two specific examples, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Abounding riches in Christ. Says you have been enriched in every way. You know, there's a teaching now that says that if you're in Christ, you're going to have all the health now. You're going to have all the wealth right now. And then there's a teaching that responds to that that says, oh, no, no, it's all a spiritual thing. I want to make something really clear. If you are in Christ, you are a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Your heavenly Father, as I've told you in the past, paves the streets, not with this ugly, black, gooey oil and rock. Your heavenly Father paves the streets of his home, of his city, with pure gold, not this cheap 14-carat stuff that's yellowish in color. He paves his roads with absolutely pure gold that's crystal clear. He uses gold for gravel. That's a kind of wealth. I mean, you talk about people on this earth that are wealthy. No one, no one can even enter into the same league. They're not even in the same set as these kind of riches. And you might say, well, Dave, you know, big deal. I want you to let that idea permeate your heart. It'll change your whole personality. It'll give you a confidence like you would not believe if you realize that in everything you have been enriched in Christ. Let's take your health, for example. You say, Dave, do you think the Lord's going to give me health? Yes, I'm sure the Lord's going to give me health. Now, some people say, well, you're going to have health till you're 80 years old, and then you're going to die. The whole idea is everyone that's really in Christ, everyone that's really believing, everyone that's really in love with the Lord the way they should be, everyone that prays through enough, everyone that will pray strongly in the name of Christ, they're going to be healthy till they're 80. Then they're going to die. Now, there's a lot of preaching around the Dallas-Fort Worth area just like that. I want to tell you something about that. I don't like that business of when you're 80, you're going to die. When I share with you what I'm really concerned about this business of we have it all now, we've got all the kingdom now, we've got all the health now, we just need to appropriate it. You say, Dave, what's wrong with that? Man, I'd like to believe that. Man, that's what I'm trying to hang on to. That's the American dream. Man, I want to make money now. I want to have health now. Boy, not me. 
You say, why not? Because this world just isn't good enough. It isn't. You want to make heaven out of this planet? You got a sick heaven. This planet isn't a good heaven. This planet has all kinds of needs. That was the mistake we're going to learn that the Corinthians made. The Corinthians were acting like they were in heaven already. The Apostle Paul was slugging it out, taking the gospel from one people to the next. He got beat up. He was sick. His body was torn to ribbons time and time again. You know why? Because he loved people like Christ loved them. Try to take the health and wealth gospel into Siberia with you. Go into a concentration camp and say, if you really believe, if you'll pray through, you're going to be healthy and wealthy and possess Russia. You say, well, God's not going to make us wealthy. Yes, he is. I want you to know one day when I go home to be with him, when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, when Christ appears, you'll never see a richer person except for maybe yourself. Because we are going to be the princes and princesses of heaven. 